Welcome to the Everyday Athletes Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jane Graves, and I'm excited to help you along your fitness journey. Whether you're a seasoned athlete or just starting out, this podcast will help you grow your mind and body to become an athlete in every season of life. This is episode 24 of the Everyday Athletes Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about interval training. We're going to focus on high-intensity interval training specifically because it is a very popular topic that is misunderstood and misused. So let's dive in. High-intensity interval training, or HIT, is exercise that contains repeated bouts of high-intensity work that is above lactate threshold and separated by periods of low-intensity work or complete rest. Now, lactate threshold is when lactate accumulates in the blood faster than it can be removed, and lactate occurs when glucose is broken down for energy without enough oxygen. So, this high-intensity work that is to be completed for HIT should be at an intensity that is unsustainable. It should feel difficult, and you should be able to tell that fatigue would occur quickly if you tried to sustain a bit longer than the interval was meant for. Interval training was made for individuals, uh, specifically athletes, so that they could perform at greater volume of conditioning or aerobic endurance with less fatigue or physiological stress. The benefit of HIT is that a person can maintain a high-intensity stimulus for longer without less or with less physical strain and more of an aerobic benefit because of the added rest periods than trying to sustain really high-intensity efforts for extended periods of time. Now, while HIT is associated with hard work, and fatigue, it has been shown to make rapid improvements in performance as long as it is accompanied with proper recovery. There are five main ways to use HIT. Short intervals, long intervals, repeated short sprints, repeated long sprints, and then sport-specific or um, game-based intervals. You also need to look at these five things that I'm about to tell you to use HIT properly. So one is understand the context of why you're using HIT. Two, what physiological responses are you trying to elect? Three, which of the five forms of HIT will help you get to that physiological response? Four, the variables you need within your session. And five, the training load, load and its effect. So now that we know the five ways to use HIT, like the five forms and the five things that we need to do HIT properly. Let's deep dive into each section to learn how to properly use HIT in our training. So let's start with number one, understanding the context of why you're using interval training. Most of the time, it's because some fitness influencer said that HIT is the best way to burn fat, and that is why people use it. But that is not why you should use HIT training. HIT was specifically designed with athletes in mind. It was to help them have these really high intensity workouts that were designed towards a certain energy system to make it more efficient while putting their body under less stress. It was created it wasn't created to burn fat. That's that's not what it was created for. So if you are trying to increase VO2 max, pro time proton buffering, glycogen content, anaerobic threshold, uh, aerobic threshold, or increase your endurance slash time to exhaustion, then HIT is right for you. 
And yes, some of that stuff will help with weight management, but HIT is not the end-all be-all to fat loss. So if you want one of those things that I had listed earlier, or if you don't know what they are, that's okay. We can look into those later. I'm not going to do that in this uh, podcast right now because that would be a lot more science that we'd have to go into. But all those things are really great and all those promote longevity and athletic ability. So first, understand the context of why you're using interval training. Secondly, what physiological response are you trying to elicit? So the basis of HIT is to create a high-intensity over overload stimulus that enhances the capacity of a certain energy system. So that means that uh, the point of HIT is to manipulate the metabolic system. So there are three different energy systems. You have your phosphagen, your glycolytic, and oxidative. Each has a specific role, but they also all flow seamlessly together. So let's go over each and what they do. And then in number three and number four, we'll figure out how to manipulate our bodies to focus on what we want to accomplish. So first, let's look at the aerobic oxidative system. Now, we could go over a lot of science behind energy systems, but that would take basically all day. So we are just going to touch the basics here um, just for understanding and knowing what we're trying to do. So the oxidative system is an aerobic mechanism that uses, uh, that replenishes ATP that are in the mitochondria of muscle cells and require oxygen. That's why it's called oxidative. So oxidative phosphorylation requires large amounts of oxygen to nourish the cell in the body. Now, oxygen phosphorylation is the regeneration of ATP through the oxidative system. Basically, ATP gives us energy. That's what ATP ATP is. It's um, there to provide energy to our bodies. Now, the oxidative system is the primary energy source for low-intensity, long-duration activities and uses primarily carbohydrates and fats as energy. Now, the duration of exercise has to be three minutes or above to use the oxidative system. And it's, like I said earlier, a lot lower intensity than um, some of the other systems that we'll look at. But the oxidative system produces more ATP, especially when using fats, but it is the slowest in AP. ATP production, which is why it has to be three or more minutes for the oxidative system to actually start being used. Now let's look at glycolysis. So glycolysis happens by breaking down carbohydrates or glycogen that is stored in the muscle or delivered in the blood to resynthesize ATP. This is the middle energy system that doesn't resynthesize ATP as fast as the phosphagen system, but does it much faster than the oxidative. Now, there are two types of glycolysis. You have your um, anaerobic glycolysis, which is also known as fast glycolysis, and you have your aerobic glycolysis, which is known as slow glycolysis. The difference between these two are what happens to a molecule called pyruvate. Now, You may not know what pyruvate is and it's not super important, but I'm just going to explain the difference really quick. So fast glycolysis, the pyruvate is converted into lactate within the sarcoplasm, whereas slow glycolysis, pyruvate is shuttled into the mitochondria. Now, physiologically, in layman's terms to just understand it, 
that just means that fast glycolysis is going to bring you energy faster, but it will also deplete quicker, while slow glycolysis will bring energy a bit slower, but it will not be depleted as fast. So fast glycolysis will cover about your 30 seconds of activity to two minutes of activity, while slow glycolysis covers about two to three minutes of moderate intense work. But remember that these energy systems are fluid and they have some overlap to them. So it's not like you can just train fast glycolysis alone, but they work together. Now, lastly, let's look at the phosphagen system. This system provides ATP for short-term high-intensity activities like weightlifting and sprinting. This energy system relies on creatine phosphate for energy, which which provides energy at a very high rate, but the downside is that creatine phosphate is stored in small amounts, so it becomes depleted rapidly. This means that the phosphagen system cannot be the primary source of energy for longer for uh, activities that are in longer duration past 30 seconds. So ATP can never be fully depleted due to the basic cellular needs for energy. So like I said earlier, the energy systems are fluid, which means that phosphagen system can pair with uh, fast glycolysis and allow for very high intensity of 6 to 30 seconds of work, while the, while, um, the phosphagen system alone can provide extreme high intensity for only zero to six. So you can get that very high intensity of six to 30 seconds as long as phosphagen is paired with the fast glycolysis, but the phosphagen system alone can only do at max six seconds of very, very, very high intensity work. So as we finish looking at what physiological response we want to get from HIT, think about these different energy systems and what your goals are. Do you want more power? Then obviously you need to work in that phosphagen and glycolytic system more. Do you want more endurance? Then you need to work in the oxidative system a whole lot more. Find what matches your goals and why you want to do HIT, and then you'll figure out what we're about to talk about next, which is number three and number four, what forms you need and the variables you need. So let's go ahead and move to number three. Which of the five forms will help you get there to that physiological response? So to figure that out, I'm going to go over each one very, very briefly. So let's talk about first long intervals. Long intervals are repeated bouts of exercise at a moderate intensity with a duration longer than one minute. They are separated by short durations of passive recovery, so about one to three minutes of recovery, or active recovery of about two to four minutes. Whenever I think of long intervals, I usually think about fartlek runs here. Next is short intervals. Um, Short intervals are repeated bouts of high-intensity exercise for less than 60 seconds with short passive recovery periods. Now, passive here means almost complete rest, so just think about, like, not moving. So um, active recovery would be like, oh, I'm going to sprint and then I'm going to jog, right? Jogging would be the active recovery. But passive here just means, like, doing nothing. Um, For these short intervals, I think of high-intensity rowing intervals or air assault bike intervals um, just because you got that that high-intensity short interval with that longer or not a super long rest period, but um, a longer rest period that you're not doing anything. Next is repeated short sprints. 
Now, repeated short sprints are three to 10 seconds of all-out sprinting with a variety of recovery times that can either be passive or active. Now, this one is obviously just a sprinting interval, but it is all-out, full intensity for a very short period of time. Whereas repeated long sprint intervals are 20 to 30 seconds of maximal sprinting effort with a wide variety of rest times that can be active or passive. And that's the same as short sprints, but just requires a longer duration of sprinting time. Lastly, we have uh, sport-specific intervals or game-based intervals. Now, usually there's two to four minutes of sport-specific activities that require some type of decision-making or mental piece within the interval. They also include about 90 seconds to four minutes of passive recovery. Sometimes more really depends on the sport that you are working towards. This needs to be specific to the activities you perform within your given sport or activity of of choice because maybe not all of us are still doing sports, but we're probably doing some type of activity that we want to get better at. To fully understand which energy source you would be using for each of these five formats of intervals, you need to look at the intensity and time of the specific format. So for long intervals, that could be a mix of glycolysis and oxidative. Short intervals would be either fast glycolysis or phosphagen. Uh, Short sprints would be phosphagen and maybe even a tiny bit of fast glycolysis. And long sprints would be fast glycolysis. Now, where you may get a variety of things would be sport-specific. It can be very mixed depending on what sport or activity you are trying to replicate. Now, this is, excuse me, this is just a general guideline. And you may not always hit exactly the targets you want to because energy systems are fluid and they work together. But this gives you a better understanding and guide to help you reach those physiological responses. To know how to add these formats into your training to get the physiological response you want, then we need to look at number four, which is the variables you need within your session. So one variable that you need to know is what mode of training you want to use and what best helps you reach your goals, okay? So because we are working on energy systems and different metabolic demands in our cardiovascular system, we need to use cardiovascular modes of training, which is like running, biking, rowing, swimming, a ski erg, an aerosol bike, etc., whatever else. We don't want to do what all the typical influencers do and use resistance training. Uh, and by that, I mean doing like thrusters as fast as you can, doing... Um, pull-ups as fast as you can, doing push-ups as fast as you can, whatever whatever resistance training you're using to try to do HIT is not going to work, okay? Resistance training is meant to grow and build muscle. So to try and elect a cardiovascular response using weightlifting is just not happening. Yes, weightlifting can get your heart rate up, but that is not the main physiological response that weightlifting um does right like whenever you do weightlifting what is your goal to build muscle right to try to get a cardiovascular response what should you do a cardiovascular mode of training which is running biking all those things i just mentioned earlier so we want to use a mode of training that gives us the physiological response that we want so stop looking at the influencers who are doing squats and whatever to try to get 
some cardiovascular response because that is not what we're doing with HIT. Interval training is cardiovascular training, okay? So we got to use a cardiovascular mode. Now, let's look at some of the other variables that you need to manipulate to get your desired outcome. I'm just going to list these really quickly because there's about eight of them. Um, and then we'll talk about each one or each grouping of them. So number one, the intensity of the active portion of each round and cycle. Number two, the duration of the activity round or cycle. Number three, the intensity of the recovery portion of each round and cycle. Number four, the duration of the recovery portion of each round and cycle. Number five um, is how many rounds and circle or cycles are performed. Number six is how many sets are performed. Number seven is the rest between each set. And number eight is the recovery intensity of each set. Now, I know that was a lot, but we're going to talk about each one. So the most important factors or variables that we're looking at are the intensity and duration of the active and recovery portion because they make up your work to rest ratio, which has a direct correlation of the physiological response you are trying to elicit. So let's break down these work to rest ratios using our variables, okay? So this is, if you are really interested in HIT, this is where I would actually get out um, pen and paper and write down everything that I'm about to say because this is actually super important um, and will help you most with your interval training. Okay, so if you want to primarily work the phosphagen system, you would need to work within an intensity of 90 to 100% of power for about 5 to 10 seconds with a work to rest ratio of 1 to 12 through 1 to 20. So I'm going to give you an example. If your active portion is 5 seconds and you want to use a work to rest ratio of 1 to 20, then your work to rest ratio would actually be five seconds of activity with a hundred seconds of recovery. So that's for phosphagen. Okay. It's a really, it's the most, um, it's, it's the highest work to rest ratio. So one to 12 to one to 20. Then you have your fast glycolysis. So you need to work at 75 to 90% of intensity or power for 15 to 30 seconds at the work rest work to rest ratio of 1 to 3 to about 1 to 5. So your example here is let's say your active portion was 30 seconds long of activity and you used the work to rest ratio of 1 to 5 then your actual work to rest ratio would be 30 seconds of activity to two and a half minutes of recovery. Obviously, because you're just going to take 30 seconds and multiply it by five, and that's how you get your work to rest ratio. So for glycolysis, with a little bit of a mix of oxidative, your oxidative system, we're going to try to go on like the high side of glycolysis. So it probably would work your oxidative system a little bit. You need to work <clears throat> at about 30% to 75% of power or intensity for about one to three minutes with a work rest ratio between one to three and one to four. 
So here's your example. If your active portion was two minutes and you use the work to rest ratio of one to four, then you would have an actual work to rest ratio of two minutes of activity to eight minutes of recovery. And lastly, for the oxidative system alone, you need to work at an intensity of about 20 to 30% for over three minutes with the work to rest ratio of one to one through one to three. So your example is eight minutes of activity and you use the work to rest ratio of one to two, then your activity would be eight minutes to 16 minutes of recovery. So after you figure out the intensity, duration, and rest you need, which you need to use that work to rest ratio to figure out exactly what you want and what you want to elect. Um, then you need to figure out the number of rounds and sets and rest between each round and set and the recovery intensity. So do you need complete passive rest or do you need a slight jog between each round um, to keep the heart rate up? That may also depend on your training status and what you are trying to accomplish with this workout. So that's something you have to figure out for yourself. I can't really, you know, tell you exactly what to do. Um, but for those like longer uh, intervals, like let's say you use that example of the oxidative, that eight minutes of active to 16 minutes of recovery, obviously you don't want to do like 10 rounds of that because that's going to be a lot of work unless you are just really trying to work um, your cardiovascular endurance a ton. Um, especially in that oxidative system, because then maybe you could do that. But I would, I would probably look at something a little bit shorter, especially I don't think anybody would have time to do 10 rounds of eight minutes of activity and 16 minutes of recovery. That is just my opinion. Maybe you do, maybe you're a pro athlete, then you probably do have time because that's what you mainly do. Um, but you kind of have to figure that out on your own and you have to know your training intensity, like what you can take. Now that leads us into number five, which is knowing the training load. Now load basically means how fatigued or how hard the training session was and also how often you should be doing interval training. I like to use RPE for load, which is rate of perceived exertion, because um, <clears throat> it lets your body determine how hard the workout was. But also, if you don't have access to lab testing, you cannot actually determine how difficult the training load was for your body because you can't just know that. You have to get a test to figure that out. And most people don't have access to that. Now, if you're like me, you really don't have access to equipment like that to determine that training load. But maybe you have a watch. Like I have a watch that gives me a rough estimate of my training load for that day. Now that can be super useful because if the training load is really high, then maybe I need more recovery time or rest between training days. If my training load was really low and it wasn't supposed to be, then I know I need to um, up my intensity and maybe work a bit harder. Now, if you don't have access to even something like a watch that tells you your training load, then you can always use rate of perceived exertion to help you estimate your own training load. And that is just a rating of your workout on a scale of 1 to 10. Or for running, a lot of times we like to use 1 to 20. Um, 1 is being extremely easy. It's basically just sitting there. And 10 or 20 is all out, couldn't even go one step further, think you're going to pass out, honestly. It is the hardest thing that you can do. Um, and there are many examples on the internet of rate of perceived exertion that you can use to help identify your training load. 
But always try to be extremely honest with yourself because more times than not, we are likely to make things out to be harder than they actually are, which then throws off our trading load. Okay, so really be honest. If you went all out and you literally cannot take a step further, then that's obviously going to be a 10 or a 20. But let's say you thought you went all out, but in reality, you're still walking around and you feel really good and barely feel fatigued, then obviously that wasn't a 10 or a 20. You should really look at what you did, how you recovered and be like, man, okay, maybe that was more like a five, right? Or maybe that was more like a 10 if you're using the scale of one to 20. It was right in the middle because that can really help you determine if you need to work harder or maybe take another rest day in between. Now, if you have questions on this topic, please let me know. I am more than happy to answer any questions you may have because I think having this knowledge and understanding the science behind it is super important so that you can determine what is best for you. Unlike fitness influencers, I will not tell you that this one thing is the answer to weight loss or becoming an athlete or whatever your goal is because everybody is different and you have to figure out what your body responds to best and gets the results that you want. Now, a coach can really help you with that if you're un unsure on what to do or you just feel lost. So if you feel unsure and need some guidance, look for a coach or ask me. Go to gravesathletics.com and fill out my coaching application to see if, you're, if we are a right fit for each other and if I can help you reach your goals. I am more than happy to always have that conversation with someone because I think it can be extremely important. And like I always tell everybody, coaches even have coaches. Like I I have a, a running coach on my on my phone that puts up all my um my runs for me because sometimes I just don't have the brain power to do it for myself. And knowing that I made an investment helps me to actually push myself to do the workout, right? Because I spent money on it. I'm going to do it if I spent money on it because, you know, I don't want to waste money. So that can always be helpful. So please feel free to reach out if you have any questions or if you need any extra help, let me know. I am so happy to answer any questions that you may have. And as always, thank you for listening to the Everyday Athletes podcast. Please like and share and make sure to give this podcast a follow to be updated every time a new episode comes out. And please, please, please leave a review. It helps me to know if what I'm sharing is helpful to you, to my audience. And as always, keep striving to be an athlete in every season of life.